This is Off the Red Carpet with George Pinocchio, sponsored by Mercedes-Benz. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Off the Red Carpet. I'm George Pinocchio, and joining us today is someone who has been in Hollywood a long time. He's a film producer who started from the bottom, who has so many stories to share that he finally decided, I'm going to write a book. The name of the book is Magic Time. The name of the guest is Hawk Koch. And Hawk, welcome, and thank you for being here. Thanks, George. I'm happy to be with you. You tell lots of stories in this book. You get a lot of information in here. I think this is really good because your stories just play out very nicely and quickly in this book. Well, uh, I love telling stories, but that's why I'm a producer. <laughs> but uh, I'd always tell stories on the sets, and everybody would say, would you please write these down? We can't lose these stories. So I decided finally to do it. But I needed a spine to the story, and it really is the story of me and my father and the love story between us, as Robert Evans, who we just lost, said when he read it, he said, it's a love story between you and your dad, but it really is a tough relationship that I had with him that uh, found its way out. And we should tell people who your father was. Yes, my father was Howard W. Koch, who was... Also, he was a very well-loved man in the industry who ran Sinatra's company in the early 60s. He became head of Paramount. Then he was a producer at Paramount for 50 years, I think, including The Odd Couple and Ghost and Airplane, uh, just to name a few of his uh, success. He was also president of the Motion Picture Academy, and I'm very proud to say I'm the only second-generation president of the Academy. He produced eight Oscar shows. <laughs> I could go on and on, and he won the Gene Hersholt Humanitarian Award. He was much loved. Yes, he was loved. And you stepped into this business, and you knew very early from visiting a movie set as a little boy that this would be your life. Yeah, uh, I was a shy little kid, and my mother drove me and my older sister up to Colorado. My dad was making a movie. I didn't know what making a movie was at four years old, and they took me to the set. He was an AD on a movie called Across the Wide Missouri, being directed by William William Wellman, Wild Bill Wellman, mm -hmm. who had directed the first Oscar-winning movie, Wings. Uh, and we got out of the car, and all of a sudden I saw cowboys and Indians and teepees, and there were catering trucks and camera trucks, but I didn't care about that. And all of a sudden somebody said, have you ever been on a horseback ride? No. Do you want to go on a ride? Yeah. Somebody picked me up and put me in front of this guy and rode me around when I got home that night after spending a whole day on a movie set and loving it, my father said to my mother, guess who gave little Howie, I was little Howie, my father was big Howie, guess who gave little Howie his first horseback ride? And my mother said who? And my father said Clark Gable. Well, my dad made B-movies in the 50s and we never took vacations, we took location. <laughs> so I really spent my entire childhood whenever I wasn't going to school on location or on, on a movie set. And I fell in love with the, the crews, the cast, everybody. It became a magical place for me. I think most people will tell you, we hear those stories about people starting in the mailroom and working their way up. And in your case, you really did start at the bottom. You got a break by someone giving you a job, but you had to prove yourself times three because you were the son of a famous man. Exactly. Although the first two movies I worked on, he didn't get me the job, and I'm sure all of your 
listeners out there have heard of Billy the Kid versus Dracula and Jesse James meets Frankenstein's daughter. Which took five <laughs> days to make? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But then I did, I did work on uh, This Property is Condemned, and uh, I, through luck and circumstance, I went from PA to second AD almost immediately down in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, and uh, I was working like crazy. I uh, loved it. Because I had been on a set the, my whole life. I knew what the job was. But you also knew how to interact with people because you're 19 years old, I think, and you're working on this property is condemned, and suddenly you're out golfing with Robert Redford. Yeah, well, but Redford wasn't a star then. He'd only made Situation Hopeless but Not Serious with Mike Connors. I mean, that was it. Nobody knew that Redford was going to become who he became, but he was a good buddy. He but, became a friend. And you worked with him on The Way We Were as well, right? Yes. And, yeah, and continued to be friends for years, yes. So I think that that's great because when you see, when you start looking at the names of the people you worked with in this business, somehow you managed to be around a lot of legends. Yeah, I, I was lucky. I was, one moment I was in Wheeling, West Virginia, and I got to work with Jimmy Stewart. Are you kidding me? Jimmy Stewart and George Kennedy. And as Kurt Russell and I always kid around, he was a young kid. And I was protecting Jimmy Stewart and George Kennedy because all these kids were running up. And I thought they all wanted to see Jimmy Stewart, right? Well, they all attacked Kurt Russell because he was on some Disney show. <laughs> they all went after Kurt. And always, Kurt always said to me, you never protected me, Howard. What's going on? <laughs> when it comes to Jimmy Stewart, I got to interview him just briefly once as an older man. I was working in Monterey. It was the first year of the Monterey Film Festival. He was the honoree. Doris Day was there. I thought I was in heaven. Maureen O'Hara wrote her autobiography and talked about working with Jimmy, who she really loved. But there was one moment where they were working in a scene, and Maureen got the laugh and then jimmy got sick and went home that day from work and when they came back the scene had been rewritten so jimmy, jimmy had the laugh, the laugh. <laughs> was that what it was like that happened that happened <laughs> let me tell you what happened when i looked at magic time and you read what happens before the book begins for people that you've allowed to read it beforehand so what some of the people were saying about your book fun funny insightful, inspiring, and then that word pops up again, fun. So clearly you wanted to make a book that a reader would enjoy reading with a cup of coffee or maybe something stronger and just and reminiscing a little bit, right? Yeah, well, I, I believe I have kind of a, a, a group of tenants that I talk about, and one of them is have fun. If you're not having fun in your life, it really does go by too quickly. So one is have fun, another is do something that matters. People say, Wayne's World, how does Wayne's World matter? Well, people are still laughing, and I think humor is really important in our world. You know, have courage, don't live in fear. A lot of people live in fear. And the other one, uh, I was down in Cuba for an academy uh, thing. We went down there, uh, and they asked me to sign a wall at, uh, at one of the film schools down in, in Havana. And I didn't know what to say, and then all of a sudden I thought about Live your dream, not your parents' dream for you or your friends or your sister or brother or your partner, but really look inside yourself and say, what is it that I want to do? And I was lucky enough to get to do and still am doing what I love doing. I think this is also important that producer Mark Gordon writes about your book. If you want to hear a story about what Hollywood is really like, read this book. Hmm. Because we all have assumptions, and I'm on the fringes of it doing what I do for a living, covering show business, but I'm not on sets every day. 
And if I was, I probably still wouldn't have the depth of what you cover here. So I'm thinking if you're someone 18, 19, 22 years old, fresh out of college, wanting to get into the business, this book will serve them well by kind of understanding what happens behind the scenes. Yeah, I tried to also let everybody know what an AD does, what the PGA mark is, what a producer does, uh, and and how it works. You know, it's, it's not easy, but uh, as I always say as a producer, if there's a brick wall in front of you, you usually hit your head on it for about <laughs> 999 times, then all of a sudden, boom, you hit it the thousandth time. And it falls down and you're able to do the movie or whatever whatever it is you wanted to do. Did you ever put a limitation on yourself or were you always just open to, let's try it? Yes. I, I uh, Molly, my wife, who wrote the book with me, always says that I show up. And I think that's a, I think that's a really good thing to do. Oh, I'm too tired or I really don't want to go or I really want to do this. Show up. And if it doesn't work, okay. It doesn't work. But show up in your life and show up for your, for yourself, for your family, and for your friends. Show up. Family is very, very important to you, I know. Yes. Um, well, you say when you get it right. You got it right with Molly. It wasn't, it took a while. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's okay to say, right? You yes. own up to all of your mistakes, and we learn that the movie business is tough on a marriage. Yeah, it is, and um, very tough. <laughs> I had several marriages, and I have three great children and I have five grandsons so I'm I'm a happy dude and uh yeah I uh when I tell the story about Hawk is that uh, what you're looking for well go ahead because um, once upon a time you weren't known as Hawk yeah, I was Howard W. Koch Jr. for most of my life and I was always told by everybody I ever met and this was daily boy your dad's the most wonderful man you must be so proud and boy you know what he did for me and what he did for the business and say hi to him for me but they didn't talk to me and at 49 I was sitting with a nice Catholic Italian friend of mine Gary Lou Casey who you know used to be head of Paramount and I said I gotta do something spiritual for my 50th birthday and he said you know I've been to your children's bar and bat mitzvahs and you're always so emotional can you get bar mitzvah at 50 and I went Gary what a great idea that would be fabulous I don't know I gotta go find out so I went through a process of research and I found this wonderful rabbi Jonathan Omerman and I sat and talked with him for about a half hour and he said well let me ask you a question I said yeah sure he said who are you and I said oh I'm a movie producer and then he said no 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 no. who are you and I said oh I'm a father and I'm a son and he kind of got a little angry he said who are you and man, at 49, I, did I know who I was? And from somewhere deep inside me came out, I'm a Jewish man. And he said, well, that's a start. And I, I'm, ooh, I'm in trouble with this guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, what's your Hebrew name? And I said, my parents are non-religious. I, I don't have a Hebrew name. And he said, well, for your 50th birthday, for your bar mitzvah, you'll be given your own name. Well, I broke down. And he said, what's wrong? And I said, I just realized for 49 years I've had my father's name. I'm Howard W. Koch Jr. I want my own name. And then he said the, the words that changed my life. He said, a rabbi said, you can have your own name. What? I can have my own name? Hmm. 
well, do you, and he said, do you want to be called George or Nancy or Frank or whatever? No. He said, well, did you ever have a nickname? And I said, well, my initials are HWK because my dad always wanted the W Koch because there was another Howard Koch, which we could talk about later if you want. Um, and uh, uh, they called me Hawk, but it never really stuck. And he said, do you know anything about Hawks? And I said, well, not really. He said, well, they mate for life. And I went, <laughs> that was something I was not very good at. He said, they also can see from horizon to horizon. And, and they can see a, a rabbit half a mile away. Wouldn't it be great if you could see the panoramic of your life and the detail always at the same time? And I thought, this guy's good. And then I said, but isn't Hawk pretentious? And he said, only if you allow it to be. And so I went away and I... I uh, I went up to Colorado, and I was talking to a Native American. I was trying to figure out, should I t change my name? And he was selling these trinkets. And I'm, I'm showing George now. I realize we're on a podcast. But there's a, a lightning bolt, a cloud, and the word listen. And I asked the Native American, I said, well, what does it mean? And he said, do you know the way we are so awake and aware and attuned to all of our senses between the lightning and the thunder? We hear it, we see it, we smell it, we taste it. Wouldn't it be great if you could be that awake, aware, and attuned all of your life, not just between the lightning and the thunder? And I thought, oh, that's a sign. That's the A to put with HWK, and now I can go back and become Hawk. And now when people meet me, they go, Hawk? What kind of a name is Hawk? What a weird name, or what a cool name, or how'd you get the name <laughs> Hawk? And they talk to me as opposed to about my dad. And it really changed my life. And almost a year later, I met Molly, and this hawk did mate for life. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, me too. You, you went through a lot in your marital <laughs> woes. Um, we should do a P.S. to this part of the story, is that Howard Koch was a writer who was involved, unfortunately, with the McCarthy era. He was blacklisted. Blacklisted, and the W stood out so— Well, my dad— my dad was worried he was going to be blacklisted right. or mistaken for that Howard Koch. So he added the W to his name, and he always said to me, make sure you tell everybody you're Howard W. Koch Jr. And it was very important to him. And years later, I actually got to meet the other Howard Koch. He was a great guy. So let's talk about your dad a little bit. Your dad, we know, was beloved in the industry, and people adored him. But he didn't have the easiest time connecting to you. Uh, I know there's love there, and I read about that love, but it took a long time, didn't it, to kind of just embrace? Yeah, uh, it. He, I don't think he knew how to talk to me, and as a young kid, you're afraid to, you know, to broach subjects. And uh, as I said, in 1989, he won the Gene Herschel Oscar, which is a humanitarian Oscar. And when he was on the stage. He was thanking everybody. Walter Matthau had, had presented him with the award. And all of a sudden he said, uh, and one day I hope my son uh, will be up on this stage. And it really got to me at that moment. What? My dad said that? And many, many years later, I became president of the Academy and I got to be up on that stage. So I really, you know, it, it really meant a lot. Uh, you talk about your kids in this book, and I think you wanted to make sure you had a good relationship with your kids. But just like your marriages, work kind of prevented you from being there all the time. And you'd sneak away from the office to be at their ball games. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I knew that I didn't want to be in the same position. I didn't want my kids to be afraid to talk to me. Yeah. 
And so I probably, I don't think I was a helicopter dad, but I certainly asked them questions that maybe sometimes <laughs> they didn't want to want to do but uh, well you made some dreams come true for them and you gave them some good advice which I liked hearing yeah. um, one of them is when you were going to a premiere of a movie and you brought made sure Rob Lowe was sitting next to your daughter Emily oh yeah that was that was really <laughs> fun she was she was 11 years old and oh my god she had the best time I think of her life <laughs> that's a great story in a, a, a memory for a lifetime yeah and there was one other one we went to a Saturday Night Live, and I didn't tell her, but she got to sit next to Brad Pitt, too. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was a good dad. That's good dad days. She didn't want to sit next to me. It was Rob Lowe or Brad Pitt. Your dad produced The Odd Couple, starring Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon, but initially, that was not the plan for who would be in that movie. Yeah, uh, well, my dad, as I said before, had run Sinatra's company, and uh, he... Um, he, when he bought the rights, when he was head of the studio, and then he, like every other production head, got fired. Gulf and Western uh, bought it, Charlie Blue Dorn, and so he was fired, but he got to take his movie, The Odd Couple, with him. And Frank wanted to play the Jack Lemmon part, Felix. And uh, Frank wanted Jackie Gleason to play the, uh, the, the slob, Oscar. But uh, my dad had a meeting with Walter Matthau, and Matthau said, as only Walter would, Howard. You really want Frank Sinatra and Jackie Gleason instead of me and Jack Lemmon to do The Odd Couple? And my dad looked at him, and he knew he was right. And he was right, and it's even today it's still a funny, funny movie. And Frank Sinatra did not like not getting what he wanted. Yeah, no, he didn't <laughs> talk to my dad for a few years, but they made up years later. But I love that then you had your own Jackie Gleason story later with Tom Hanks. Yeah, um... I got to do a movie. I was running a company called Raystar at the time, and I got to do a movie with Jackie and Tom. Uh, as Tom calls me Hondo, I don't know why, but he calls me Hondo. Um, but in 1974, my dad was ill, and my dad wasn't somebody who kissed or hugged or even put his arm around you, and he'd shake hands. And uh, he had a, a, an injury, a, a, a surgery that he was going to have to do, and was really scary because they didn't they didn't perform this surgery very often and my mom and my sister were in the waiting room and I kind of walked towards surgery with my dad and uh, as he was about to go into the OR all of a sudden he grabbed my forearm and he said you know if anything happens to me make sure you take care of your mom and your sister and I realized that was the first time I ever felt my father's touch on my arm instead of just a handshake and so I told this story to Tom and Jackie and, and uh, Gary Marshall, who directed it, and I said, I think at the end of the movie, when this, because Jackie has to go in for some surgery, so I told them the story, and we use it in the movie. And it really is a very poignant movie m moment in the movie, and obviously it was a very poignant mo uh, moment for me. Well, it's a, I love that movie, too. Nothing in common. Okay, so you worked on Rosemary's Baby. You worked on... Uh, Fool's Parade with Jimmy Stewart, right? Yeah. Billy Jack. Now, I grew up in the theaters watching these Billy Jack movies, and <laughs> now I have to go back and watch the original because all of a sudden I learn about body doubles. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what was he thinking? Well, well <laughs> as an assistant director, the director is always right. So I, they had fired the AD, and uh, Doc Merman, the head of physical production at Fox, called me and said, 
get on an airplane and fly down to Santa Fe. You're going to be an AD on a movie called Billy Jack, Tom Laughlin. So I flew down there. I got there about lunchtime. I worked the afternoon. And then when we got back to the Ramada Inn, you always big hotels for, for all the Hollywood people. Um, one of my jobs was to do uh, to look for a new double for his wife, Dolores, who just passed away just recently. And his wife is five foot four, very petite woman. And so uh, I had to look, I know it's a tough job, but I had to look at several of the young people there who would be a body double. Well, I went to look for a body double for his wife, someone around five, four, very petite, not, not big breasted. <laughs> and I picked a couple and I said to, uh, to Tom, okay, I've got a couple, pick the one you like. And he looked at the two of them and he said, well, that's, they're not going to double my wife. Don't you have anybody? And he looked. There were still some of the people who were, had tried out over there. He said, "What about her?" Well, her was five foot nine, five foot ten, big-breasted <laughs> blonde. And he said, "She'll do." And I was going, "She looks nothing like your wife." But hmm. that was the body double. <laughs> um, I love that story. We were talking earlier about how. Hollywood starts to make one movie, and then by the time it hits a theater, the director may have changed. There may be new people writing. There may be new stars. You've dealt with that in your films. One of your early films, The Pope of Greenwich Village, could have been very different if Eric Roberts and Mickey Rourke had not played the leads. Yeah, well, uh, we, my partner Gene Kirkwood and I bought the book. It was a cult classic. I loved the book. And uh, we were able to get it to Francis Coppola, to Jimmy Kahn, and to Al Pacino. This is after Godfather. This is about eight, ten years after Godfather. And loved it, and they wanted to do it. But there was a problem about um, credit. <laughs> Who got first credit, Al <laughs> or Jimmy? And I went away to uh, Finland to do this movie, Gorky Park. And when I came back, none of them <laughs> were involved in the movie anymore. Uh, and we had Eric Roberts and, and uh, Mickey Rourke. And uh, as it turned out, uh, a good buddy of mine, Stuart Rosenberg, who I had done several movies with and had directed Brubaker and uh, great movie, Cool Hand Luke, came in. And uh, I'm really proud of that movie. Well, well-received, well-reviewed. Well-received, yeah, well-reviewed. Yeah, really good movie. Uh, here's an, a story that I'll share with you. I was uh, moderating a Q&A with Anne Margaret recently, and I had heard this rumor, so I asked her, and it was true. Her agent had been... well. Anne Margaret had been offered the role of Bonnie in Bonnie and Clyde, and her agent turned it down without ever telling her she was offered the part. And it made me think, Faye Dunaway got that part. Faye Dunaway worked in Chinatown. You were involved with Chinatown. These were the major stars of the day in this giant movie. Was it different working on a film like that versus something you were just, you know, hey, kids, let's put on a show? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was... There are... There are good people making films and television. There are really good people, and then there's geniuses. There's that those people who are a touch above. And Robert Towns' screenplay, mm -hmm. um, John Alonzo's cinematography, Dick Silbert's production design, and Roman, and Jack, and Faye. And I must say, uh, again, uh, my mentor was Robert Evans. And uh, we knew, or at least I knew, I think all of us knew, that this was a special movie. And uh, it was not easy working with Faye. <laughs>
and uh, it was fun working with Jack, and, and I had done Rosemary's Baby with Roman, so uh, by this time, I, on, on Rosemary's Baby, I was the assistant to uh, William Castle, the producer, and also the dialogue coach, but on this movie, I was Roman's right hand. I was his AD, so it was, uh, you know, whatever you can say about other things in Roman's life, He's one of the greatest filmmakers I ever worked with. And by Roman, we're talking about Polanski. Yes. yes uh, I one time got to go to Frankie Avalon's house <laughs> and talk with him and Bob Marcucci. And then I'm reading your book, and there it is, your movie, The Idolmaker, based on Bob Marcucci. <laughs> yeah. And this is one of those that you had Phil Spector doing the music for, and you go to his house, and you were probably scared to death. Well, Phil... <laughs> I think is still in jail now. He is. But, but you went to his house, and when you went to talk to him about the music, he had a gun in, in, in his uh, belt. At home. At home. Oh, yeah. And he had a bodyguard there. And But we heard great, great music, and we were a few weeks away from shooting. We had already cast Peter Gallagher as the, you know, the young kid and Paul Land as the other idol. And uh, Darlene Love sang the songs for us up there, you know, of, Dar of the crystals mm -hmm. and all that stuff. And I went back to the, to the office and I called his lawyer and I said, he's got to sign the music away because we have to make the movie. And the lawyer said to me, he's never going to do it. <laughs> and I said, well, I can't make them. I can't have these songs. So luckily, we found Jeff Barry, and almost immediately, he wrote just the most amazing songs. Jeff Barry and Ellie Greenwich, look them up. They were amazing songwriters of the 60s. I remember that 60s. movie very well. Yeah, well, as a matter of fact, I'm trying to get an updated version of it done right now with John Clickman and Cassidy Lang at MGM. And then those names might change in two years. Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, please don't tell me that. I, oh, they want to make kidding. it. They well, want to make here's it. Here's an example of one of your films. The Secret of My Success was originally going to be with Matthew Broderick. It ended up being with Michael J. Fox. Yeah. You were hired at one point to be head of production at Durantis, um, De Laurentiis Entertainment. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. You have all these plans. They go bankrupt almost immediately. Yeah. I talked about a roller coaster in your life in behind-the-scenes Hollywood, and you have been on that ride yeah. off and on for a long time. Yeah, you you, you, you know, it's as <laughs> William Goldman says, nobody knows nothing. And by the way, don't count any chickens. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if you're actually filming, although that happened to me too, <laughs> where we started filming a movie and it fell apart after day seven. Wow. So, you know, uh, it's a tough you never know. Uh, let's do two more stories before sure. we say goodbye. One of them is, and I remember sitting down across from these people when I did the interviews for Primal Fear. Yeah. And there's Richard Gere, who we always love talking to. And then there was this unknown named Edward Norton. This movie changed his life, but you had to make sure he could play this role. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Deb Aquila, who was head of casting and still a great casting director, looked at 2,500 young boys. And meanwhile, we were still trying to get... A, kind of a young star, you know, like Leo DiCaprio at that time was probably 19 or 20. And uh, but Deb said, you know, this guy's pretty good. And Greg Hoblet had met him once in New York. So we brought him out to test him. And he was a, 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 a hick from West Virginia. And I went into his tra the trailer before he was going to shoot. He was going to test a couple of scenes with with Richard Gere. And he, he was just the the sweetest kid, and I thought, wow, this is exactly the character. He came out, and he did the 
did the first two scenes as this kind of hick kid, and then there's a scene in the movie where he turns from the kind of sweet kid whose name is Aaron into this, he's a split personality, or so we think, uh, into this tough-as-nails murderer named Roy. And remember, we've never seen this kid act. And Greg Hovlett, Gary Lou Casey, and I are behind the camera and gears in front of the camera, and he does this switch from Aaron to Roy. And we went, oh, my God. And when Greg Hovlett, the director, said cut, gear turned around to us and went, this guy is great. So we took the test to Sherry Lansing, and who was head of the studio, and Sherry said, yeah, he's really good, but not sure. Maybe the, the, you know, the stuttering is too much and everything, and let's do another test. And we're thinking, oh, God, but that's Hollywood. You never get So we did a second test, and we worked with him prior to that second test and worked and worked, and then he got the job. Well, that screen test went all over the city before we ever – shot a foot of film and all of a sudden everybody in hollywood knew about edward norton and uh well and i like that sherry lansing let him know what the stakes were when she said to him let's not feel any extra pressure but this is your role to lose oh yeah yeah (laughs) sherry yes that's sherry but i like she added she added sweetheart right Okay, and this, I think, is my favorite story in the book. Not, I mean, just favorite moment, I should say, because I love when good things happen to good people. And you're making a movie with Sissy Spacek and, and Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg. Goldberg, and it's called The Long Walk Home, and these housekeepers in the 50s are walking five or six miles to and from work. And you decide that, as a production team, you would walk that five or six miles before you started shooting. Yeah. And then there was someone that was walking with well, you. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> the movie takes place right after Rosa Parks and the whole, you know, the bus situation. And these black maids, you know, were going to walk. They weren't going to. And so we decided to do the walk. And there was this young uh, girl who was an ex- extras casting assistant, meaning background actors, we had someone doing it, and then she was a, 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 a helper. And as a matter of fact, my kids were down in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, where we were filming, and she kind of helped. Robbie was young at the time and kind of helped uh, kind of babysit for him. And years later, it's Octavia Spencer. <laughs> and we're at the nominees luncheon, at the, at the Oscars nominees luncheon, and I went up to Octavia, and I brought my son, Robbie, who was now an entertainment attorney, and... Robbie said, I know Octavia, she's my client. <laughs> so, you know, that was pretty cool. That You never know who's going to be the person who becomes what they become. So I think you that's never know. just terrific. Yeah. I love hearing that story. And by the way, we've talked about a lot of stories here today, but there are a hundred more at least in this book. You cover a lot of ground, you cover an entire career, and you give us insights into a, a world that most of us really don't know do you still love this world oh yeah i i I don't know anything else and i love it and i always feel like uh when people ask me when i give speeches or something you know i always say do what you do best if you have weaknesses okay maybe let those go but i love organizing and i love talking and telling stories and i love inspiring 
so I get to I get to still do it. So thank you very much, Hawk, for joining us for another edition of Off the Red Carpet. I love your book. I hope people go get it. Thanks, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. But you're a great interviewer, George. Thank you so much. I love hearing that. Join us again for another edition of Off the Red Carpet. Until then, get to the store, get Magic Time, My Life in Hollywood by Hawk Koch. Thanks, everyone. See ya.